If you will, turn in your Bibles to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, beginning in verse 28 as we continue our study through the Word. Now you remember that Jesus had withdrawn from Jerusalem after the, the Feast of Dedication, and you'll remember that they had picked up stones to stone him with when he withdraws, and he heads out to the Jordan River, back to where it all started. You will remember the place where John was baptizing, and he is out there, and and suddenly we saw last time that, that Lazarus becomes ill, becomes sick. And you remember that Mary and Martha, they send word to Jesus that their friend is, is sick. And you'll remember that Jesus' response to the messenger was that this sickness is not unto death. And the messengers depart. And you'll remember that Jesus then stays there for two more days. And it is then the next day that finally he makes his way and heads up. In the meantime, back in Bethany, Lazarus did pass away. The word comes back from the messengers that, that this sickness is not unto death, but that God might be glorified through this. And, and suddenly Mary and Martha now find themselves in the unimaginable. They are placing their brother in the tomb. He, he has died. They are wrapping him up and anointing him and, and sealing the tomb. But, but Jesus said that this sickness was not unto death. And so the mourning begins, the wailing, the, the taking and placing their brother into the tomb and sealing it, and, and the whole time wondering now, where is Jesus? They had watched Jesus and, and heard the stories of, of so many miracles, of what Jesus had done for others and how Jesus had healed this deaf person and how Jesus had healed this blind person. And, and Jesus and the apostles would oftentimes stay at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, and so they had heard many of the stories, but, but now they needed Jesus. And Jesus doesn't come. And three days go by. And do you remember that, that they believed and taught that the soul lingered around the body for three days and, and then on the fourth day it departs at the end of the three days. The, the body, they did not embalm a body. They just wrapped it in cloth, anointed it with some perfumes and spices and then placed it uh, into the tomb. And so corruption, decomposition begins on the fourth day. The body begins then to smell and to decompose on the fourth day. And, and so on the fourth day, all hope was, was now lost. And you remember that 
And Jesus and the disciples, they head up to Jerusalem, to Bethany. Bethany is just right next to Jerusalem, less than two miles away. And you remember that the apostles are not excited about returning back to Jerusalem. You'll remember that Thomas tells them, you know, let's go die with our Lord if they head back to Jerusalem. And, and so they, they arrive and you remember that Martha sends and Martha comes and you remember that she falls down on her face before the, the Lord. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And that was the question that was really in their hearts. The, the number of times that they had just hung on to that over and over and over and over and over. If you had been here, this wouldn't have, this wouldn't have happened. There was a, a sense in which she was really saying, where were you? Why didn't you come? Days and days and days, we sent messengers. Four days ago, we sent a messenger to you, and, and you're just arriving now. And if you had been here, we wouldn't be in this great pain that we are in right now. But you remember that she follows that up by saying, but even now I know that God will do anything that you ask of him. We, we see that there is that great disappointment, but at the same time we also see that she is clinging to that faith. She is clinging to the hope that, that somehow Jesus will be able to, to do something. And You'll remember that Jesus' answer was, your brother will rise again. And you'll remember that Martha responds with, yes, I know, in the end, in the great resurrection, we all are going to rise again. But it didn't minister to the pain that she was in right then about the loss of her brother and the confusion of why Jesus had delayed so long. Notice that Jesus does not give an explanation for why he delayed and doesn't have that conversation. In her grief, in her sorrow, in her confusion, Jesus goes right to the single most important thing that there is, and that is his relationship with her. And you will remember that Jesus uh, then declares, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so here is Jesus. He is eternal life. And here is her brother that is in the grave. And she, he is declaring that I am the resurrection and the life. And when a person believes in me, accepts uh, by faith uh, and connects with me as the Savior, as the Messiah, and eternal life is imparted into you, you will never die. You will never experience that separation from God, that eternal death. And, and so he goes to the whole issue of death. What happens when a person dies? It is a question that every single person that, that breathes breath has to contend with. What happens uh, after you die. And Jesus here was declaring, I am life. You are talking about your brother breathing or not breathing, but I am talking about something that is eternal. And that is the eternal life that I have that transcends uh, 
this life. The Bible tells us that our life is a vapor. It's just we are here and then we are gone. Our existence here on this earth is just a short span of years. And I want you to just consider that short span of years compared to eternity. No end uh, whatsoever. And in this short span of life, you are going to determine your eternal destiny. And so here, Martha is so consumed with the here, with the now, and with the present. And Jesus is pulling back to the expanse. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And we see that Martha's response was, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you are the Messiah. And we see that she puts that faith in his identity as Savior and as uh, her Lord. We pick it up here in verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher is coming, is calling for you. And so Jesus now sends Martha to go and to get Mary. Now notice something interesting, that she goes to her sister secretly. Why, why is that? Why does she go in secret? Why doesn't she come bursting into the door? Jesus is outside and he's calling for you. And, and why isn't there a rush out to, uh, to see Jesus? Well, you will remember that uh, when Jesus was last in Jerusalem, they had picked up their stones to, to stone Jesus. And now the word was out that if anybody knows where Jesus is, that they are to report it to the religious leaders. They have murderous intent now in their heart. And, and so here is their friend, Jesus, who is outside. But remember that now what's going on in the house? The mourners are there. The tradition back then, no matter how poor you were, that when someone passed away, that you would hire mourners to come and to, to mourn. The least number of mourners that you were to have was three. Two flute players and one crier. <laughs> and so this is now the, the, the mourners that are there. And they would play their music and mourn, and everybody would know somebody has, uh, has died. They are in mourning over here. And so you had these mourners that were there, and you had all of the other people that had come to pay their respects and to mourn friends of Lazarus, friends of Mary and Martha, family and extended family. But all of this while Jesus is a wanted man, and now he is right outside. And so she doesn't want to come in and say, guess who's here? And, and so she goes to her sister <coughs> and says secretly, the teacher has come and is calling for you. That, that word there is, is a notable title for a Jewish rabbi. Rabbis wouldn't teach, but it is interesting that uh, it was unusual for a Jewish rabbi to instruct a woman. And so for her to regard him as a teacher says an awful lot about their relationship. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. I like that. To come to Jesus quickly, whenever you hear his voice, whenever he bids you come, come. 
Whenever the Lord is seeking to draw you away and to spend time with him, be willing to do that. I, I love going on retreats to be able to get away for a couple of days when the Lord just leads. But I also know that there is such warfare. There is The flesh never wants to do anything that is spiritual. And the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the Lord bids, come and... And my flesh says, you're too busy. Look at your schedule. There's so much going on and it's going to cost money. How am I going to get there? What if I room with someone that snores? (laughs) (sighs) Oh, but the Lord is bidding, come, come away, come, come away. Come quickly. Here she rises and goes quickly, verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but he was in the place where Martha met him. You remember that when he arrived in Bethany, he asked where Lazarus was buried and started to go to the tomb. And this is where he had met Martha. And now they are continuing towards the the tomb. And this is the place where, uh, where he is. Verse 31, Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Martha comes in and whispers something privately to Mary, and the next thing they see is Mary jumps up and out she goes. And, and so they believe that she's going to go to the tomb, and so it's, we'll, we'll follow her, we'll, we'll stay in close to her. And, in verse 32, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the exact same thing that her sister says. And how many times had they said that to one another during the past four days? If Jesus had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And that they had full faith in. And that was a statement of faith. But recognize uh, also at the same time that it is the confusion of their heart because the unspoken question that really is behind that statement is where were you? Where were you? Four days. And you haven't come. And so she is overcome. She falls at his feet and begins weeping. That's the only question that she can get out. It's the only statement. It's the only words that she can actually form. There are times when it is incredibly difficult to form words. When emotion rises up and chokes off your ability to even speak. And Mary finds herself now with a million words and thoughts and emotions flooding through her. And and there is nothing but sobbing. There is nothing but crying as she is now at Jesus' feet. She is at Jesus' feet, but remember the crowd that was with her? They had raced out and followed. And what's the first thing they see? Jesus. It's Jesus. This is when they find out that that Jesus is, is here. And so Mary is crying before the feet of Jesus, and, 
Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Here is Mary on her face before him, just crying, just hurting, just sobbing here. And, and it says that Jesus groaned in his spirit and, and was troubled and and I want you to know that that that, that groan and, and being troubled wasn't just like a moan. It wasn't like, oh. In the original language, that word uh, means to snort with anger like a horse. There is a strong displeasure. There is a visceral, angry, hurtful response to this. And and what's happening there is, is that Jesus is responding to the consequences of sin. He, he knows that he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He is not mourning for Lazarus, but he is connected to the pain and the sorrow and the suffering that sin has caused mankind, that sin has caused his friend. The pain that sin causes you God sorrows over that. It was never a part of the plan. That's the sin and fallen world that we live in. Every sickness, every disease, every sorrow, every tear that you have ever cried in your entire life can be traced back to sin. And here is the consequence of sin, death, and, and all of the people that have experienced the death and the loss of loved ones, of others, and, and even the fear and the pain of death uh, ourselves. And Jesus now responds to this enemy that has tormented and tortured whom he is going to go and get victory over. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus now weeps. The shortest verse in the Bible. But oh, how powerful. Two words. Jesus wept. The word for weeping here that is used is not the loud wailing and crying. It is the, the emotional overflow when tears just start to leak out of your, your face. The emotion cannot be contained within and so emotion finds uh, its outlet. I'm not crying. My eyes are leaking. <laughs> Grief for a fallen world that he came to rescue. And then the Jews said, see how he loved uh, him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? We see once again the accusation. Where was he? Where was Jesus when you needed him? Jesus was there for everybody else, but when you needed him, when you were in your time of calamity and trouble and problem, where was Jesus? He was nowhere to be found.
And is that not the voice of the flesh in our own life sometimes? We see God active in other people's lives. We hear about a healing disease that is reversed, cancer that is in remission. We hear of a marriage that has been destroyed and separated, that has been reconciled and healed. And, and we see God moving everywhere around us. But, but then when we face our own dilemma, our own tragedy, our own trial, it can be like, God, where, where are you? I see you every place else, but now where, where am I? Where are you when I need your help? And that voice of the flesh that constantly causes us to, to question God. That is the voice of the enemy. Has God really said? You can eat from any tree. And then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. In and around Jerusalem, limestone is the common rock that is there, and you will see all of these little limestone cliffs. It's very rocky over there, but one of the things about limestone is it's a soft rock, and it's easy to chisel out, and so they chisel these caves out of the limestone, and then you roll a rock over it. They carve out a disc, and then they roll that over the carved-out cave. And so they come, and, and that is the type of tomb where Lazarus uh, has been placed. And, and Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. By this time the body has entered into corruption now, and it is going to smell terrible. And and Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Notice that this was a conditional promise. There are many, many conditional promises that God gives us. If you will do this, then I will do this. And so we see that there had been the promise to Mary and to Martha, to Martha here, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. This was what he had sent back through the messenger. But I want you to know that, that Jesus is fully capable of resurrecting Lazarus with or without Mary and Martha's belief. But the difference is this. When you believe by faith, you are participating in what is happening. And when you do not step in by faith, then God is going to move anyways. But you are now going to be on the outside of what God is doing and not on the inside of what God is doing. He is asking her to join him in faith with what God is doing. And then they took away the stones from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, 
I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Notice that he begins with Father, the personal, intimate uh, address. You have heard me. You always hear me. Jesus was reciting this publicly for others to be able to hear, not that God would hear because he was speaking out loud, but because of the people. The reason was others. Jesus is always others-centered. The motivation behind everything he did was others. I do always do those things that please the Father. And he came not to be served, but to serve. And he set that model, the model of other-centeredness in our lives. We are so selfish and so self-centered by nature. When we come into this world, the world revolves around us. You go into the house of anybody that has a small baby and watch how the whole house revolves around that baby. If the baby's sleeping, shh, the baby just fell asleep. The baby's napping. If the baby needs to eat, the baby needs to change. If the baby cries, no matter what you're doing, you're stopping and attending to the baby. A baby does, the world does revolve around that, uh, that baby. And, and we grow up with the world revolving around uh, uh, us. But Jesus said that we need to crucify our flesh. We need to break that mm, paradigm, that self-centered, self-focused existence now and, and to live for others and to die to ourselves and to allow God's love to flow through us uh, and on to others. Jesus lives out that model life, that perfect example of living for others and Jesus said these things he says that they may believe that you sent me that they might believe the number one thing that Jesus is concerned with about you is your faith the condition of your faith today this morning right now how is your faith what shape is your faith in. We always ask ourselves, how are you doing? How are you feeling? We're very concerned with our physical body. Jesus is less concerned about whether or not you have a little kink in your back and if your throat is dry. <laughs> he wants to know what's the condition of your faith. He wants to know if your faith is dry and if your faith has a kink in it. Now when they heard these things, when the now when he had said these things, verse 43, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. I would like to have seen the faces of the people that were standing around at this time. It was shocking, number one, to, to take and to open up the tomb when the body is in a state of decomposition. You saw Martha's objection, and, and I think the rest of the crowd was nodding their head, yes, don't do this. <laughs> but the stone is rolled away, and there is a dark cave, and, and Jesus suddenly now says, Lazarus, come forth. And I can't help but to imagine that everybody's eyes, I think that they all looked at each other first, like, did it, did, what did he just say? 
Then I think they looked at Jesus. Then I think they looked at the tomb. Then I think they looked back at Jesus. Then they looked at one another again like, what is this guy doing? (laughs) He just spoke. He just spoke to a dead person (laughs) and told a dead person to do something. Does that make sense? Does that make any sense whatsoever? intellectually, and you process that, what is the likelihood that a dead person is going to respond to anything that you say? There are so many times when God doesn't make sense. When God doesn't make sense. We try to understand God. We try so desperately to pull God down and to make him someone that we can understand, to place him within the limitations of our construct, within the limitations of our thoughts and of our minds. And, and the Bible says that his ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are not our thoughts, that, that his thoughts are so much higher than ours. And I find myself guilty so often time of trying to, to, to bring God down from his state of glory. When, when I have a problem and I've already figured out the answer and I tell God the answer of my problem, if he would just... And I find myself constraining God from the awesome majesty and glory and power of of who he is. I was just thinking the other day how amazing God is that he can hear everybody on the face of the earth all at the same time. And I thought how much easier it is to understand that that wonder of how can how can that even be? But we have the power of supercomputers now. And the fastest computers are now able to do like a hundred billion commands uh, in a second. I mean, the speed. So that if there were a hundred billion computer stations, and you had the mainframe computer, it can give an instruction to every single <laughs> 100 billion different communications in one second. Monitors 100 billion. And we only have 6 billion people on the face of the earth. That's just the speed of what man has built. That's the speed of art and communication. And here is God who is connected to Billions of mm, mm, people able to uh, hear and listen. How awesome is our God. And here is God incarnate now speaking to a tomb and to a dead body inside of that tomb telling it to do the impossible. Jesus is oftentimes telling people to do the impossible. He tells the paralytic man to stand up, rise up and take your bed and walk. And <laughs> He's paralyzed. He can't do that. But here he is now giving the command to arise and walk, to come out. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Can you see the picture in your head? 
Can you imagine? I try to imagine if they saw him first or if they heard something first, if they heard grunting and groaning as he's trying to. He's been laid down. He's in grave clothes. He's wrapped up, and Jesus tells him to come forth. He had to stand up all wrapped up in his grave clothes, and then he's trying to get out and then notice something else. The face cloth is still on him. He doesn't even know where he's going. And here are all of the people stunned. I wonder if anybody like ran away and was freaked out. This is like the original mummy movie, right? He, he, here. And everybody is so stunned, right? They're all standing there that Jesus has to give the follow-up command. Can someone go over there and help the guy, please? Go loose him. But I want you to know that also in here I see a picture of each and every one of us in our salvation. You see, every single one of us, we were dead in our trespasses, the Bible says. We were wrapped up in the trappings of this world and the trappings of our life and the trappings of our death. And, and so we get saved. We are imparted with eternal life. But you know what? Our life still has all of the grave clothes on it, still all of the trappings of that old life that we used to live. And what needs to happen? Those grave clothes need to come off. That old life needs to die. The way that we lived and the way that we thought and the way that we conducted ourselves that that was all part of the the old life see those grave clothes that was that was a fitting for the grave but now we've been called out of that grave and and I think how many Christians are still trying to wear their grave clothes while they are living and and part of our sanctification is to to remove those and notice that he gives the command to have others help him See, in our salvation, we have others uh, now that help us to know the Word of God, to study, to teach, we disciple one another. Go ye therefore and make what? Disciples. See, a person isn't born again and then they just disciple them themselves. There, there is the need for community to come around and to help. And the older, help the younger. We see over and over the scriptures teach this. And so we see in this picture of salvation, we see the, the life, we see the grave clothes, and we see the command to go and to help that person now to Remove those. Why? So that they can live the abundant life more fully, more completely. It was Augustine, the great church father, that once remarked that if Jesus had not said Lazarus' name when he said, come forth, that all would have come out of the grave at that moment. It's like, Lazarus and Lazarus uh, only, the rest of you stay put. <laughs> because everybody else will come out of those graves one day. It's not an if, it's a when. And then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. That's good news. It's surprising. It's surprising to me when I read that. The word that surprises me in that verse is the word many. I'm happy for the many, but the thing that I don't understand is why it wasn't all. 
<laughs> no, seriously. You just stood there and watched Jesus Christ call a man who had been four days dead and in the tomb, stand up, come out, and pick up life. And he says that I am the resurrection and the life, and I have eternal life. And everybody doesn't believe? My question is, what more do you want? What, what, what more do you possibly want when you don't know what is going to happen to you after you die? And here is someone that says, I know exactly what happens after you die. And I have the power of life and death in my hands and I will demonstrate it to you and I will call a man four days dead to walk out of a tomb in grave clothes and you don't believe him? <laughs> Why? Because there, an, uh, there is an element of faith that is about free will and not intellect. You see, God will give you more than enough to believe. But if you will not believe, then no amount of evidence is going to convince you otherwise. If your heart is closed, if you are closed off to God, if you have a predetermined belief that you are protecting in your life, then no amount of truth set before you is going to be enough in truth for you and to believe. Not all believed. Not all who stood there and watched this miracle believed. Many believed. What about those who didn't believe? Verse 46, but some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. They went away to tell the Pharisees what? We know where Jesus is. We just saw Jesus. And, and now they are concerned with information, but they are not concerned with faith. They're talebearers. A talebearer. <laughs> Gossip. What they want more than anything else is information before anybody else has that information. And they love to trade that information. The person that's always in the know that can tell you, oh, did you know about so-and-so? Oh, yes, and so-and-so, do you know what happened? Did you hear about that? Of course you heard about that, right? Everybody already knows that, right? And, and what do they do? They trade mm, tales. That's their currency. <laughs> they had just seen something amazing, and so... They don't go and process it. And what does this mean? They tail bear. They, as quickly as they can, they want to go and, and tell the, the Pharisees now what they've seen and what Jesus did. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. And if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. And so here they recognize that they have got a significant problem. This is something that couldn't be explained or denied. Jesus had just done this in front of a large group of people that all witnessed and experienced it. And, and now it was four days dead that Jesus had resurrected him. They, they recognize and understand the significance of that as well. And now they've got a major problem on their hands. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people 
and not that the whole nation should perish. And it says, now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Caiaphas was the high priest from 18 AD to about 36 AD. Normally a high priest was appointed for life. That was what the scriptures told. But the Romans didn't like anybody having that much power and authority. And so they allowed a high priest. They kept on changing the high priest and appointing the high priest. And so Caiaphas here is an appointed high priest. In verse 53, it says, Then from that day on they plotted to put him to death. Now elsewhere you see that they were already plotting to put Jesus to death. But that was the Pharisees. Those were the, the less powerful. Now it has reached the Sanhedrin. Now it has reached the high priest. Now there is an official decree that comes out of the Sanhedrin that Jesus needs to be terminated. In verse 54, Therefore Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim in there remained with his disciples. Ephraim is about 15 miles away from Bethany. And it says, And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. I thought that that's interesting. During Passover, you are supposed to purify themselves. There are the mikvahs, these ceremonial baths. Everybody is concerned about purifying themselves. But what are the religious leaders doing? They're plotting murder. At a time when everybody else is trying to purify themselves, they are darkening themselves with sin. And then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think, that he will not come to the feast? That's what everybody was talking about in Jerusalem. You see, the, Jesus always came to the feasts, but... Now everybody was talking about the fact that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead and now they were hearing that the Sanhedrin wants to know where Jesus is and if anybody knows where he is that they are to come in to tell him. And now they went to the post office and they saw a picture of Jesus, most wanted, <laughs> right there. And that made him wonder, do you think that he'll come then? Because he's wanted, is he going to show up or is he not going to show up? And, that was, and the, that's what the polls were. Everybody was being polled on that. Do you think he'll come or not come? USA Today had a poll that was publishing in the papers back then, whether he's coming or not and coming. That's what everybody was talking about. Now, both the chief priests and Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. The next time Jesus makes his entry into Jerusalem will be Palm Sunday and his triumphal entry. They will not have to look hard to find Jesus when he shows up. As we close our study here, I want to draw our attention for just a minute back to verse 32. Back to where it says that then Mary came where Jesus was in Psalm and she fell down at his feet. She falls at his feet, being at the feet of Jesus. And, and that was just the phrase, to be at the feet of Jesus. 
And Mary is a person that in the scriptures, we constantly see her at the feet of Jesus. The first time we saw her at the feet of Jesus, you will remember that Jesus was a house guest and Martha and Mary were preparing a lunch for them. And Martha was upset that Mary wasn't in the kitchen helping her, but Mary was at the feet of Jesus. And you'll remember that Martha comes in and complains to Jesus. Would you tell my lazy sister to get in here and help me finish the lunch? And you remember that Jesus tells Martha that she's chosen the better portion. You see, Jesus was teaching and instructing, and Mary was learning from Jesus, and that speaks of of being at the feet of Jesus to, to learn. The Bible says that we're to take on the mind of Christ. How do you take on the mind of Christ? How do you learn to think like somebody else thinks? You have to spend time with that person. They have to teach you how to think differently than the way that you think. The Holy Spirit is inspired the Word of God and empowers the Word of God, but the, the Word of God is the mind of Christ, and we're to take on the mind of Christ. We're to sit at the feet of Jesus. You have to study the Word of God. You have to read the Word of God. You have to spend time at the feet of Jesus learning. Jesus said, follow me, and that's that invitation to understand a close-knit relationship to where the revelation of his mind to you. And Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. How important that is that we sit at the feet of Jesus and that we also learn. The next time we see her at the feet of Jesus is right here. She is in grief, she is in sorrow, she is confused, she is filled with pain. And what is she doing? She's bringing her pain to Jesus. And I think how important that is as a Christian that we learn how to take our pain to Jesus. See, before you were saved, you had your own way of dealing with pain. Some people shop when they're in pain. Other people go to the refrigerator, open up that freezer and just start taking the ice cream out. Other people start cleaning. They just start cleaning. They clean anything and everything, and it's just like, woo, they're clean, and they are going, you're like, oh, you're upset. <laughs> you're, you're trying to cope with your pain by, by cleaning. Others turn to drugs, alcohol, sex, you name it, and gambling, every single different thing when they're in pain. Some people binge watch shows. We never could do that when I was young. <laughs> But God doesn't want you running away, taking your pain, trying to handle it, mask it, and avoid it. He wants you to bring your pain to him, to learn to bring your pain to Jesus, to just collapse at his feet and we find her just weeping. She's just hurting. And she's just bringing her pain to Jesus. And how important that is that we learn to bring our pain to Jesus. The next time we see Mary at the feet of Jesus is going to be when she anoints his, with her fragrance. She breaks open her spikenard and she worships him. She pours this fragrance uh, on him. And then John's gospel will tell us in chapter 12 that she gets down on his feet and dries his feet with her hair. Adoration. Devotion. Relational connection, commitment at the feet of Jesus. We fall down, we lay our crowns, 
at the feet of Jesus. One day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. One day every single person will be at the feet of Jesus. And we can either go there willingly and voluntarily as we see Mary to learn, to bring our pain into worship, or we will be forced to kneel at his feet. in recognition that he is who he said he was. And by force, there will be a compulsion before they are separated from him forever. Mary, at the feet of Jesus, learning, worshiping, and weeping, sets an example for us to spend time at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, we ask that you would just meet and minister to each and every one of us. Uh, Lord, bless us and help us to spend time at the feet of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.